if you want to start a business or if you want to grow your business and it's just you, you absolutely 100% can just have faith in that and trust in that and do it slowly. You don't need to take out a loan and start everything at once. You can start slowly on your own and go from there. And that's what I did. And it's worked out pretty well, but it's not always easy. It's going to take a lot more work than you might think. You're listening to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now with your host, Jackie Koch, the podcast with all the tips and tools to help you succeed when all of a sudden you have the realization that you're the one in charge. Hello, it's Jackie here. I'm really excited about today's episode. It's actually the first of a few that I'm sprinkling in here. And it is a client spotlight where I actually bring on one of my clients that I've been working with, whether it's for recruiting or for a fractional HR work. And you get to hear from them what it's been like as they've been growing a team, as they've been growing their business and moving through entrepreneurship. It's so easy for me to sit here and give you some theory and some practical things that I have done. But I always think it's great to hear from fellow entrepreneurs just like you who are actually in the trenches doing the thing. And I'm so excited that Greta Schmidt joins me today. Greta is the founder and CEO of Ragdoll PR. It's a boutique PR agency based out of LA that supports many different types of businesses with editorial, media, influencer strategy, celebrity seating, and even some event press and PR. And she specifically focuses on businesses and brands in the fashion and beauty spaces. I have loved working with her. We've worked together for almost two years now, and I've helped her with a variety of different things in the business. But really, I like to think I'm just her little cheerleader, her little friend who supports her whenever she has questions that she doesn't feel super confident in or know exactly what to do. And I have loved working with her. She is someone who is so committed to being a great boss. And those are the folks that I love working with the most. And so we dive into all things from how she interviews to what it was like for her to make her first hire, what her goals are, and some of the other stuff that she's come up along this journey of being a boss. So I'm so excited that you get to meet Greta. Greta, thank you so much for coming on the show. You are the first client spotlight interview that I've done. And I know I coerced you, twisted your arm to come on the show, but I think listeners are really going to love hearing a little bit about your story and your journey to entrepreneurship. So thanks for coming on. Of course. I'm happy to be here. I was going to calculate how long we've been working together before I kicked off and I didn't have a chance to do so. I think it's been a year and a half. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. It's been so fun. And what I've always really admired about you, I think maybe I've told you this, but you really care about making it a great place to work and a great place for your team. And you really care about not only doing things right legally, but doing right by your team. And it's something that I admire you so much about and one of the reasons why I love working with you. So I wanted to publicly tell you that. Thank you. I always think about it like I'm here all day and so are they. So I want to make sure that it's an enjoyable space and that people are genuinely happy here because I feel like when people are happy, that's when the best work happens. And I feel like clients can really feel our culture and can feel what we do through the team. So that is definitely something that's really important to me. 
Yeah, I can tell just on the back end as well. I would love to hear a little bit about your entrepreneurship journey. I actually don't even know this. So selfishly, I'm curious. How did you start your own firm? What made you decide you even wanted to? I'm also curious how old you were when you decided to do that, like how far along you were in your career. Would love a good founder story. It's funny because my whole life growing up, I always thought I wanted to be an attorney, which is so funny because I would have been probably a horrible attorney. I definitely would not have been a good attorney that goes to court and is representing clients in court. But it's interesting because even in high school, I did an internship with a judge and I was fully involved. I was flown out to Washington, D.C. I met Justice Scalia. I was totally into becoming an attorney. So I was studying for the LSAT in college, ready to start applying to law schools. And I don't know what hit me, but something just hit me and I realized I don't actually want to be an attorney. I want to go to law school basically to say I went to law school later, but I don't want to even practice law. So I had to do this whole 180 and really look at what it is that I love and what I want to actually do. So then I did an internship with the House of Blues corporate and I did a ton of events and I was like, this is not really my jam. And then I decided instead of law school to go to grad school for PR because I was a communications major in college. So I ended up going to USC and I got my master's in strategic public relations. But while I was in grad school, I did an internship at a fashion and celebrity PR agency in Beverly Hills. And literally day one, I was like, this is what I want to do. I knew immediately that I was extremely passionate about it. It felt right. It definitely felt like it aligned with everything that I want in terms of a career and a path. So that's how it all started. My husband, he wasn't my husband at the time, but he was my boyfriend. He was moved out to Hawaii for work. I finished grad school, finished that internship, and they actually offered me a full-time position. But I wanted to go to Hawaii and live there for a couple of years with my husband. So I went to Hawaii. And then when I came back, I immediately started working within the PR space more. I worked at several different agencies within fashion PR. And then I worked as the PR manager for a designer who sold at like Saks and Neiman's and Nordstrom and all of those. So I did all the PR for her. But I realized when I was the manager there that I wanted to work at an agency. I didn't want to work in-house. It's a very kind of different job. And so then I went on the agency side of things and worked at several different fashion PR agencies. And then I quickly worked my way up to being a director at a larger agency on the media side. And then I got pregnant with my first son. And I always knew I wanted to start my own business. It was just a matter of what was the business going to be? When was the right time? You know me. I don't want to ever burn bridges. I have really great relationships with so many different people within the industry. So I really needed the right time to branch off and do my thing. When I got pregnant with my son, that was the perfect time. I love that you say that was the perfect time. When most people listening to the show would be like, not the perfect time, the absolute worst time. That's just me. I guess the perfect time to leave the company I was at because I'm going to have a baby. I also had met somebody through a previous job who I was close to. And she owned this very small beauty brand. And we kept in touch. And so she was like, I want you whenever do your own thing because she knew I eventually wanted to like, let me know. And I'm very careful in how I do things because I wanted to make sure that when I started my company, I didn't take any clients from the agency I was at. It's just not how I am. I really just wanted to start from the ground and not burn any bridges along the way. So I reached out to that one tiny beauty brand, the friend that I knew, and that was my first client. 
And I started working with her when I was pregnant and it was almost no money, but it was for me a great way to start and grow from there. So I started working with her and it was incredible. I still talk to her today. And that was like seven years ago. That's when I started Ragdoll. It was in 2017 and slowly started just adding more clients. And now we have 45, 50 clients and the number kind of ranges here and there depending on the season and what's going on. It's been an amazing journey and I'm really happy to be where we are. That's amazing. I had no idea that you wanted to be a lawyer. I can see it. For sure, I can see it. You know how I am. Anytime I get something, I'm like, just send you a picture. And I'm like, can you tell me what I need to do? Yeah. What is this? I want to make sure I'm doing it right. So you wanted to do your own thing, which you were good at the thing. So you did it on your own for a while. Did you intentionally think you were going to have people working for you in the business? Was that something that you thought you wanted to do right away? Absolutely. Yes. I always knew that I wanted to start a business and grow it. And that's always been my focus. Yes. Having employees was definitely something that I knew was going to happen. And to me, I started Ragdoll. I'm very anti-loans. I didn't want to get into any kind of debt starting my company. And I was really lucky because ever since I was little, I've been a saver. So I saved a lot of money growing up. So when I started Ragdoll, I think I started, it was like $10,000 in my savings, but that was my little girl's savings from forever ago. So that's how I started the company and I was able to sustain it and grow from there. But I did have a goal and I still do. I want to continue to grow. I would love to eventually be an agency that has 30 employees or maybe even more and be by coastal, maybe even have somebody in Europe or in the UK kind of representing the company and working with a lot of clients overseas. So yes, that's definitely always been the goal, but I was not really in any rush either. I was the one doing all the work in the beginning until I had enough clients that I felt like, okay, in order to continue growing, I need to hire somebody to help me to do a lot of the day to day and keep these clients happy so that I can then focus on like new business as well. Because I did find that I was doing all the day to day plus trying to outreach to new clients to sign them. There wasn't like enough time in the day to do all of that. So that's when I was like, okay, maybe it's time to hire somebody to help me. And it continued on from there. Thinking back to when you first started to hire somebody, listeners on the show, a lot of them might be in the same place as you where they started the business as a solopreneur. They're doing a lot of the work. They know that in order to scale, they need to hire somebody. They're not really sure. When is the timing right? What should I hire? Did you just wing it? How did you know at that point when you made your first hire, which job was important to fill? Yeah. So I just winged it. I'm not even going to say there was a ton of strategy behind it, but I was at a point where I had gotten a small space It was a tiny space, though. It was just like a little box. But I realized that I needed an address that wasn't my home address so that when we were reaching out to new clients and signing new brands, we had a space that they could come visit and say hi or send us our checks every month. And it wasn't my home address. We had a little space and I was the only one in there. There was just like one desk and there was a window and it wasn't that glamorous, but I was really proud of it. And I was like, okay, I can financially afford to hire somebody at a pretty entry level rate. This was seven years ago, so I don't even remember what I paid, but it was entry level and it was almost like an assistant position. Maybe it was a coordinator. I remember like it was yesterday. I remember doing some interviews and I found this one girl. I'm not going to say her name, but I felt like she was a great fit. So I hired her and it was her and I in this little box room and doing really great work and then slowly adding more to the team as needed. And then there was three of us in that box room. And then I was like, okay, we need a new space. 
But it did get to a point, I think, just to go back and answer your actual question. (laughs) Financially, I could afford to hire someone at an entry-level rate. And I felt like in order to continue to grow, which I wanted to, I wasn't going to be able to do everything. Yeah. Did you end up outsourcing anything right away? So much about growing a business also involves not the actual work that people pay you to do, but like accounting and other things like that. Did you outsource accounting and finance right away or did you do that on your own for a while? I did it on my own for a year or two. But then I realized as we grew really quickly, every year since I started the business up until last year, we were doubling every year. So I realized really quickly, I'm not an accountant. I can do math, but I don't want to be wasting my time doing that. And I found myself regularly spending a lot of time figuring out all of those little details. So I did hire a payroll company, but I was also really hesitant too because of the trust aspect of payroll. I didn't want to spend a whole lot of money on it. Also, just like the bookkeeping side of things was something that I was trying to figure out but needed help with. So my mom, she's retired now. She's a doctor, so she had her own practice for the last 50, 40 years or whatever. She had an accountant and a payroll company that she used and trusted and used for years. So it was easy for me to get in there and trust them. So I ran with it. That's something I don't even remember exactly when I started, but I do remember doing some of it on my own initially. And then once I had a couple employees, it just got to be too much. And at some point, you do have to see how much time you're spending. And especially for you, I am assuming clients, you have to invoice monthly. It can add up quite a bit for sure from a time perspective. Yeah. So as you started hiring and building out a team, how did you think about intentionally building your culture? What things did you put into place? Were you careful about? How did you look at doing that? I know that's something that's always been important to you. So I'm really curious how you have gone about intentionally building a culture and thinking about it. Yeah, it's extremely important to me. We have a very specific kind of culture at Ragdoll and we have from the beginning. So that's a really good question. Ever since I started hiring, I look for very specific traits from the candidates. Obviously, I want all the normal kind of things. They have to have great communication, great writing skills, be reliable and things like that. But I also look for personality traits too because we're a drama-free zone. We work in fashion and beauty. So I want to make sure that there's people here that really genuinely want to be here. This is an industry that a lot of people out of college really want to be in. So if I'm hiring someone and they're not really into fashion or they don't really care, then they might not be a good fit because there's people that would bend over backwards to get their foot in the door at an agency in this industry. So I really want people that are really passionate about what we do and love different aspects of what we do, but also have a very friendly attitude and that I feel like They're going to be a great asset to the team personality-wise too because we're a very close-knit team here. The last thing I want is anybody that might have a bad attitude or just isn't really here wanting to be here for what we do. So those are things that I look for. I'm a really relaxed boss, I guess. I want people to come here and not be stressed out of their mind like they are at other agencies. I've worked at a lot of other agencies and Ragdoll's culture is very different and everyone that's worked here that has worked at other agencies has said that. So I want people to come here and be happy And in order to have that, I feel like we have to have people that are happy people and want to be here and are excited about what we do because I'm always excited and I'm an extremely happy person. So I want that for the team too. You said something which might seem obvious, but also not so obvious is 
for anyone listening to the show, what Greta said I want to highlight is she's worked at other agencies and knows what it's like to work at an agency where she didn't like the culture or where it was probably what some would say more toxic. And so you had that experience of what you don't want so that as you were looking to build yours, you could be like, okay, we can do this different. How can we be different than what's out there? And just think about that and how you want to be. And the second thing that you said that I want to highlight is it starts with who you hire. Who you hire is the first building block and being intentional about who you hire is the first building block to building a culture. Like you can't shift people. It's very hard to shift people once they're already there. When you look for some of those traits, do you have core questions? Do you have things that you like to do in the interview process or tips or tricks? I know as we've spoken about this, you're like, I just have a gut, which I can appreciate. But if you do have any tips or tricks on how to hire for your traits, I'd love for listeners to hear them if you have any. And if you don't, no pressure. I don't know if I have tips or tricks, but it's just a vibe. We get a lot of applicants. If I put a job on LinkedIn within an hour, I've got the max. I don't know what it is now. Oh, for the free ones, it's 45. They just lowered it. P.S. It used to be like 100 and something, and now it's like 45. Okay, that's horrible to hear. I'm inundated with applications like pretty immediately. So I go through and I look at their background. I look at their internships. I look at where they're at in their career. I don't typically like to hire people that are way over qualified for like an entry-level position. And it's more so because I just feel like financially, it's not going to align. If I'm hiring for a more senior position, then of course. So I look at all of that and I totally check out their social media too, because you can really get a feeling of who the person is too, if they have social media and just everything I check out. And then the ones that I do think would be great to actually set up a preliminary interview with, I send them an email thanking them for applying and I send 15 questions just to do a pre-scan because number one, if they're not going to answer my questions, then they're not really interested. And I have so many that apply and don't actually care enough. I was going to ask, what's the percentage, would you say? I would say 50%, five zero. Yeah, 50% just don't even respond. And then the other 50 respond. But I also look at how quickly they respond too. Because if I send them an email and that night they're sending me all their answers, I'm like, oh, they really want this. Especially for what you do in PR, time is everything. Sense of urgency is needed for sure. And the questions vary. I do ask them about their background. I ask them if they've ever worked in the industry and if they have information on that. I ask them a bunch of different questions. And I know I've talked to you about this and I'm not always sure if I should, but I ask what salary are they looking for just so I can gauge because in their next role, if they're looking for something that's $40,000 over what I'm looking to pay for this specific position, then I don't think that I would want to hire someone that is not happy with the pay for this role. So a lot of different things that I ask, but I'm also looking at the way that they respond because what we do, there's a lot of writing involved. You have to have like attention to detail. You have to be able to write really well. And it's not necessarily something you can teach either. Either you're a good writer or you're not. We can teach you how to do generic templates and emails, but on our team, we really do need another level of writing. So I look at all of that. And then from there, I basically decide if I'm going to go to an actual virtual interview. So I would say from the responses that I get, it knocks out another 40%. 
maybe. And then I end up doing virtual interviews with probably five candidates. And then from there, I basically narrow it down to two that I really like. Then I have them come into the office and my director and I sit down with the candidate and chat with them. And then we make our decision. That's great. I think that's great. What you're weaving in is you're finding ways to add screening into the whole process as well by writing the questions is more than just if they respond. It's how they respond and how they write and all of that. I think that's great. And I'm sure there's a lot of folks that could benefit from adding some of those steps. Yeah, especially if it's like a desk job where they are going to need to be client facing. All of our employees here are client facing. So they're emailing with clients daily and things like that. I also ask things like, what do you do for fun? What things are you into? Just to see and try to gather a little bit more about the kind of person that they are. It's not going to not get them the job, but it's just good to really get the full picture of who this person is. I used to not really even worry about references, but lately I have been, and it's been a great additional thing to look into as well. My personal opinion on references is it's very rare a reference rules somebody out But it is a good validation checkpoint. Sometimes I've had people just ghost me once I ask for references and I'm like, oh, maybe they weren't being truthful. I just think it's a good time for you also just to dig in a little bit. But it's very rare that somebody gives me a reference that I get a really bad reference on. Have you? No, I don't think so. But it's a newer thing that I've been doing. So as you've had a team now for probably six years, if you've been in business for seven, Like, what have been some of the hardest parts of having a team for you? Oh, my gosh. So many things. Realizing that, especially earlier on, not being able to afford older employees that are more qualified and really having to rely on employees that are fresh out of college. This is their first job. They're learning the industry. I have no problem teaching what we do. I've always been a really great teacher. And that's actually how I really structured Ragdoll. We are all learning. It's ask questions. I'm happy to teach you how to do this job and do it very well. But it's been a struggle. Younger employees who are just like, okay, I'm going to leave now. And then they just leave after a year. That's probably been the most difficult is just the lack of wanting to actually stay at the company and make it a career because they're so young that they want to just go and experience a lot of different things. So that's probably been the most challenging in terms of employees, especially with the newer generation of Gen Zers. I feel like that's been really tough for us as an agency. They've been coming in and out and they're like, I love working with you. I love working at Ragdoll. I love the culture, but I want to travel. I want to do events or whatever it is. And so having to constantly retrain and do all of that, that's probably been the most difficult part of it. Yeah, it's hard. I always say to think about your team as like an alumni, you want to make them better and more skilled for working for you, right? That should be your goal if you're going to have a team. But then you do risk that they do become so qualified, they go somewhere else. But what's the alternative? So it's a catch-22. And it's so interesting, too, because I've had numerous employees that were with us for a year or two or whatever. We were their first ever agency that they worked at. And then they go out and experience other agencies. And then they're reaching back out, wanting to come back because they're like, oh, my God, I had it so good at Ragdoll. But at that point, I'm not normally hiring. And then it's also, do I want to hire someone that decided to leave us? It's been interesting, but obviously it makes me feel good because I'm like, okay, they really loved the culture here at Ragdoll and they're not happy where they are. And obviously I want them to be happy, but that's happened over a handful of times. So it's interesting too. Everybody thinks that it's greener somewhere else. 
But I don't know. I guess that's just part of the process. Yeah, I've experienced that as well when I've worked in tech startup. In startups, you typically do have a lot of folks who maybe are earlier in their career and they haven't worked at a bunch of places to know. And I actually did this too. My first startup I went to, I complained so much about how things weren't done right. And I was really critical. And then I went to my next startup and I was like, oh shit, they had it together. What was I thinking? It was so bad at my second startup. And then my last company was amazing. And I saw that I was at least able to talk to the team. You don't want to respond to somebody's complaint with, oh, you should see how good you have it. But sometimes you do. It's always a hard thing. So long and short of it, I guess I'm just saying, I don't know the answer to how to solve that problem. But I think the alternative is to not develop your team and not create a great place, which is not a good thing to do. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. And employees that have been at other places, I feel like it's not necessarily an entry level straight out of college. They really appreciate it because they're like, I know what it was like at my last place and I know what it's like here. I let them do their thing. As long as you're pumping out good work and our clients are happy and I'm seeing all of those quotas being met, I'm not really going to be checking in on you all the time. I trust that you're doing what you're doing and you're doing it well. Luckily, we have an amazing team. There's nothing I could say about anybody on the team. I trust each and every one on our team tremendously, and they're all just kicking butt and doing so well. I've seen even in my own thing is like you jump into entrepreneurship and there's so many things that you don't know. And I get the sense from you that you just trust that you would figure it out. The podcast is called, oh shit, I'm the boss now, right? Like I have to do that. And so I'm curious how you've navigated coming into things where you're like, oh, didn't know I had to do that. I guess I'll figure it. How did you navigate those? Any advice you have to the entrepreneur or the person who wants to become an entrepreneur or wants to grow a team, but is scared because they don't have it figured out? Do you have advice to them on that? Yeah. My advice would be, you're not an expert in everything about running a business. I know what we do and I know how to do it very well, right? Which is why I started this company and why we've been so successful. But I'm not an expert in accounting and I'm not an expert in HR. Slowly, I realized that I need to delegate and find people that can help me with those things. In the beginning, obviously, you got to just scootstrap and figure it out. That's the person that I am anyway. Like I will figure things out and deal accordingly. But once it gets to a point where you need help or you're not understanding certain things or you don't know how to do it and do it well, find somebody that does. And you don't have to hire them as an employee. You can outsource for HR and call Jackie and she'll get you all set up and help you. I don't know how to do everything and I'm learning things every day. And there's still things that come up that I'm like, Okay, I'm not really sure. Today, even I got something in the mail and I'm like, I don't know if this is legitimate or spam. Like, do I have to pay this? So I just took a picture and sent it to my CPA and I'm like, is this something I have to pay? Because I don't know. And that's okay. I'm not going to know everything. So I think being able to delegate and find people that you can add to your circle that can help you through those things, running a business that you just don't really know how to do. And that would be my best advice because there are a lot of things that you're not going to know. But also Google is like your best friend too. I'm a big Googler. If I don't know something, I've always been like that. And even sometimes people will ask me questions and I'm like, Google it. I don't know. There really isn't a reason why you should be scared of doing stuff in today's world because if you're resourceful, you can figure things out. 
Absolutely. So those would be my two pieces of advice. But also, like you said, just don't be scared. Once you start growing, you're going to start learning different things. I still learn things every day. So that's a good mindset, too. Yeah, you have to like learning. Being an entrepreneur is all about liking to learn, being willing to try things. That's really all it is. It's not about being the smartest person. All you got to do is be resourceful and try. There will always be setbacks, too. So don't feel like you're failing if there are setbacks. I remember COVID hit and that was a really scary time, especially those first couple months. I remember when COVID first hit, it was in March and April came around and I sent out the invoices for our clients and like two thirds of them were like, we can't pay. We can't pay you. That was really scary. But instead of just being freaked out and panicked and depressed about it, I said, okay, basically we'll continue working with you comped for the next month or two. And I'm so happy that we did that because otherwise we would have just lost our clients, but they felt like they trusted us and we were there for them when they really needed us. I was like, either way, we're losing this money. So I'm really happy that I did that because then they were like, oh, Ragdoll was there when we really needed them. And then as soon as they could start paying, they started paying. I don't know. Just always think about how you can make things work because there's always a way. Agree. Okay. If listeners to the show are a fashion or beauty or lifestyle brand, how can they learn more about Ragdoll and how can they learn about what it would be like to work with you and your team? Check us out on our website. It's just ragdollpr.com. We also have an Instagram where we post a lot about our different clients. So it's just ragdollpr. And just feel free to reach out to me. I'm Greta and we're always looking to connect with new brands. We work with a lot of different types of brands, different types of companies, different types of experts fashion, beauty, lifestyle, wellness. We work with a bunch of different medical professionals as well. So definitely don't hesitate to reach out. Awesome. Greta, thanks for coming on the show. I know that it's always nice to hear from somebody who's been in the trenches. I think you've probably given a lot of tips and tricks and encouragement to listeners who might be in the same position as you and seeing your success. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Of course. It was a pleasure, Jackie. Thank you so much for having me. Speaking of the power of people, I'd be honored to read your written review of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard and have suggestions on how to make this show more impactful, please show your support by taking a few minutes to let me know what you think. See you next time.